Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, book 10, chapter 24. Why are these thoughts and questions striking Andre now? Do you think they will impact his actions in the battle? What is Pierre's impression of the, his relationship with Andre? Does he know why Andre isn't happy to see him? Ripster 66 says, It seems to me that the eve of a major battle is when one would naturally have these thoughts and feelings. The very real possibility of dying makes your previous life seem a bit unreal, and your previous priorities seem skewed. Andre's thoughts on death and not being around to see the consequences of the war align with his recent father's death and loss of bald hills to the French. Poor Andre, it all seems rather futile to him at the moment. Seeing Pierre pop up at this weighty moment must have felt very surreal, and I can understand Andre's annoyance. Not only does Pierre remind him of his previous life, he can see that Pierre doesn't fit here and has little to offer. I'm sure Pierre is baffled and may attribute Andre's hostilities with his feelings for Natasha, which everyone seems to know about except Andre. Um, Twisted Every Way says, Seems to me Andre knows the battle. Tomorrow will be the biggest of his military career. It's basically right in his backyard and he knows even if he survives, his way of life may not. And Kara Kikas says, So, not to reveal too much about myself, but in my head, Andre has been played by Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. Pierre has been played by Seth Rogen as every role he's ever played. <laughs> That's pretty good. Never thought of Seth Rogen for um, Pierre. But um, sure, he's a, a buffoon enough for that. I'm going to sneeze soon. I can feel it. At some point during this chapter, I will probably sneeze. But it's not right now. It's just coming up soon. Something to look forward to. But anyway, in the meantime, here's chapter 25. The officers were about to let... Wait, am I up to 25? Yeah, well, that's quick. That's come up quick, hasn't it? The officers were about to leave, but Pierre Andre, sorry, but Prince Andre, apparently reluctant to be left alone with his friend, asked them to stay and have tea. Seats were brought in, and so was the tea. The officers gazed with surprise at Pierre's huge stout figure, and listened to his talk of Moscow and the position of our army, round which he had ridden. Prince Andre remained silent, and his expression was so forbidding that Pierre addressed his remarks chiefly to the good-natured battalion commander. So you understand the whole position of our troops, Prince Andre interrupted him. Yes, that is, how do you mean, said Pierre. Not being a military man, I can, can't can say I have understood it fully, but I understand the general position. Well then, you know more than anyone else, be it who it may, said Prince Andre. Oh, said Pierre, looking over his spectacles in perplexity at Prince Andre. Well... And what do you think of Kutasov's appointment? he asked. I was very glad of his appointment. That's all I know, replied Prince Andre. And tell me your opinion of Barclay de Tolly. In Moscow they are saying heaven knows what about him. What do you think of him? Ask them, replied Prince Andre, indicating the officers. Pierre looked at Timokin, 
with the condescendingly interrogative smile with which everybody involuntarily addressed that officer. We see light again since his serenity has been appointed, Your Excellency, said Timokin timidly, and continually turning to glance at his colonel. Why so? asked Pierre. Well, to mention only firewood and fodder, let me inform you why when we were retreating from Svenstaya, Svensiani, we dare not touch a stick or a wisp of hay or anything. You see, we were going away, so he would get it all. Wasn't it so, Your Excellency? And again, Timokin turned to the prince. But we daren't. In our regiment, two officers were court-martialed for that kind of thing. But when his serenity took command, everything became straightforward. Now we see light. Then why was it forbidden? Timokin looked about in confusion, not knowing what or how to answer such a question. Pierre put the same question to Prince André. Why, so as not to lay waste to the country we were abandoning to the enemy, said Prince André with venomous irony. It is very sound. One can't permit the land to be pillaged and accustom the troops to marauding. At Smolensk, too, he judged correctly that the French might outflank us as they had larger forces, but he could not understand this, cried Prince André in a shrill voice that seemed to escape him involuntarily. He could not understand that there, for the first time, we were fighting for Russian soil, and that there was a spirit in the men such as I had never seen before, that we had held the French for two days, and that the success had increased our strength tenfold. He ordered us to retreat, and all our efforts and losses were for nothing. He had no thought of betraying us. He tried to do the best he could. He thought out everything, and that is why he is unsuitable. He is unsuitable now, just because he plans out everything very thoroughly and accurately, as every German has to. How can I explain? Well, say your father has a German valet, and he is a splendid valet and satisfies your father's requirements better than you could, then it's all right to let him serve. But if your father is mortally sick, and you'll send that valet away and attend to your father with your own unpracticed, awkward hands, and will soothe him better than a skilled man who is a stranger could. So it has been with Barclay. While Russia was, well, a foreigner could serve her, and a splendid minister, but as soon as she is in danger she needs one of her own kin. But in your club they have been making him out a traitor. They slander him as a traitor, and the only result will be that afterwards, ashamed of their false accusations, they will make him out a hero or a genius instead of a traitor, and that will be still more unjust. He is an honest and very punctilious German, and they say he's a skilful commander, rejoined Pierre. I don't understand what is meant by a skilful commander, replied Prince André, ironically. A skilful commander, replied Prince, uh, sorry, replied Pierre. Who, why, one who foresees all contingencies and foresees the adversary's intentions. But that's impossible, said Prince André, as if it were a matter settled long ago. Pierre looked at him in surprise. And yet they say that war is like a game of chess, he remarked. Yes, replied Prince André, but with this little difference, that in chess you may think over each move as long as you please and are not limited for time, and with the difference, too, that a knight is always stronger than a pawn, and two pawns are always stronger than one. 
While in war, a battalion is sometimes stronger than a division, sometimes weaker than a company. The relative strength of bodies of troops can never be known to anyone, believe me, he went on. If things depended on arrangements made by the staff, I should be there making arrangements, but instead of that, I have the honour to serve here in the regiment with these gentlemen, and I consider that on us tomorrow's battle will depend, and not on those others. Success never depends and never will depend on position or equipment or even on numbers, and at least of all, on position. But on what then? On the feeling that is in me and in him, he pointed to Timokin, and in each soldier. Prince Andre glanced at Timokin, who looked at his commander in alarm and bewilderment. In contrast to his former reticent taciturnity, Prince Andre now seemed excited. He could apparently not refrain from expressing the thoughts that had suddenly occurred to him. A battle is won by those who firmly resolve to win it. Why did we lose the Battle of Austerlitz? The French losses were almost equal to ours, but very early we said to ourselves that we were losing the battle, and we did lose it. And we said so because we had nothing to fight for there. We wanted to get away from the battlefield as soon as we could. We've lost, so let us run, and we ran. If we had not said that till the evening, heaven knows what might have happened. But tomorrow we shan't say it. You talk about our position, the left flank weak and the right flank too extended, he went on. That's all nonsense, there's nothing of the kind. But what awaits us tomorrow? A hundred million most diverse chances which will be decided on the instant by the fact that our men, or theirs, run or do not run, and that this man, or that man, is killed. But all that is being done at present is only play. The fact is that those men with whom you have ridden around the position not only do not help matters, but hinder. They are only concerned with their own petty interests. At such a moment, said Pierre reproachfully, at such a moment, Prince Andre repeated, to them it is only a moment afforded, affording opportunities to undermine a rival and obtain an extra cross or ribbon. For me tomorrow means this. A Russian army of a hundred thousand and a French army of a hundred thousand have met to fight, and the thing is that these two hundred thousand men will fight, and the side that fights more fiercely and spares itself least will win. And if you like, I will tell you that whatever happens and whatever muddles those, those at the top may make, we shall win tomorrow's battle. Tomorrow, happen what may, we shall win. There now. Your Excellency, that's the truth, the real truth, said Timokin. Who would spare himself now? The soldiers in my battalion, believe me, wouldn't drink their vodka. It's not the day for that, they say. All were silent. The officers rose. Prince Andre went out of the shed, and with them, giving final orders to the adjutant, after they had gone, Pierre approached Prince Andre and was about to start a conversation when they heard the clatter of three horses' hooves on the road, not far from the shed, and looking in that direction, Prince Andre recognised Walls again, Clauswitz, accompanied by a, a Cossack. They rode close by, continuing to converse, and Prince Andre involuntarily heard these words. The war must be extended widely. I cannot sufficiently commend that view, said one of them. Oh, yeah, said the other. The only aim is to weaken the enemy, so of course one cannot take into account the loss of private individuals. Oh no, agreed the other. <clears throat> extend widely, said Prince Andre with an angry snort when they had ridden past, in that extend where my father, son and sister had bought hills. 
That's all the same to him. That's what I am saying to you. Those German gentlemen won't win the battle tomorrow, but will only make all the mess they can, because they have nothing in their German heads but theories not worth an empty eggshell, and haven't in their hearts the one thing needed tomorrow, that which Timokin has. They have yielded up all Europe to him, and have now come to teach us fine teachers. And again his voice grew shrill. So you think we shall win tomorrow's battle? asked Pierre. Yes, yes, answered Prince André absently. One thing I would do if I had the power, he began again, I would not take prisoners. Why take prisoners? It's chivalry. The French have destroyed my home and are on their way to destroy Moscow. They have outraged and are outraging me every moment. They are my enemies. In my opinion, they are all criminals. And so thinks Timokin and the whole army. They should be executed. Since they are my foes, they cannot be my friends. Whatever may have been said at Tilsit. Yes, yes, muttered Pierre, looking with shining eyes at Prince André. I quite agree with you. The question that had perturbed Pierre on the Mosheis kill and all that that day now seemed to him quite clear and completely solved. He now understood the whole meaning and importance of this war and of the impending battle. All he had seen that day, all the significant and stern expressions on the faces he had seen in passing, were lit up for him by a new light. He understood that latent, heart, latent heat, as they say in physics, of patriotism, which was present in all these men he had seen, and this explained to him why they all prepared for death calmly and, as it were, light-heartedly. Not take prisoners, Prince André continued. That by itself would quite change the whole war and make it less cruel. As it is, we have played at war. That's what's vile. We play at magnanimity and all that stuff. Such magnanimity and sensibility are like the magnanimity and sensibility of a lady who faints when she sees a calf being killed. She is so kind-hearted that she can't look at blood, but enjoys eating the calf served up with sauce. They talk to us of the rules of war, of chivalry, of flags, of truce, of mercy, to the unfortunate, and so on. It's all rubbish. I saw chivalry and flags of truce in 1805. They humbugged us, and we humbugged them. They plunder other people's houses, issue false paper money, and worst of all, they kill my children and my father, and then talk of rules of war and magnanimity to foes, take no prisoners but kill and be killed. He who has come to this, as I have, through the same sufferings. Prince André, who had thought it was all the same to him whether or not Moscow was taken as Smolensk had been, was suddenly checked in his speech by an unexpected cramp in his throat. He paced up and down a few times in silence, but his eyes glittered feverishly and his lips quivered as he began speaking. If there was none of this magnanimity in war... We should go to war only when it was worth while going to certain death, as now. Then there would not be war, because Paul Ivanovich had offered, offended Michael Ivanovich. And when there was a war like this one, it would be war. And then the determination of the troops would be quite different. Then all these Westphalians and Hessians, whom Napoleon is leading, would not follow him into Russia and would not and we should not go to fight in Austria and Prussia without knowing why. War is not courtesy, but the most horrible thing in life. 
And we ought to understand that and not play at war. We ought to accept this terrible necessity sternly and seriously. It all lies in that. Get rid of falsehood and let war be war and not a game, as it is now. War is the favourite pastime of the idle and frivolous. The military calling is the most highly honoured. But what is war? What is needed for success in warfare? What are the habits of a military? The aim of war <coughs> is murder. The methods of war are spying, treachery and their encouragement. The ruin of a country's inhabitants, robbing them or stealing to provision the army, and fraud and falsehood termed military craft. The habits of the military class are the absence of freedom, that is, discipline, idleness, ignorance, cruelty, debauchery, and drunkenness. And in spite of all this, it is the highest class, respected by everyone. All the kings except the Chinese wear military uniforms, and he who kills most people receives the highest rewards. They meet, as we shall meet tomorrow, to murder one another. They kill and maim tens of thousands, and then have thanksgiving services for having killed so many people. They even exaggerate the number, and they announce a victory, supposing that more people they have killed, the greater their achievement. How does God above look at them and hear them? exclaimed Prince Andre in a shrill, piercing voice. Ah, my friend, it has of late become hard for me to live. I see that I have begun to understand too much, and it doesn't do for man to taste of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Ah, well, it's not for long, he added. However, you are sleepy, and it's time for me to sleep. Go back to Gorky, said Prince Andre suddenly. Oh, no, Pierre replied, looking at Prince Andre with frightened, compassionate eyes. Go, go, before I battle, one must have one's sleep, repeated Prince Andre. He came quickly up to Pierre and embraced and kissed him. Goodbye, be off, he shouted, whether we meet again or not. And turning away hurriedly, he entered the shed. It was already dark, and Pierre could not make out whether the expression of Prince André's face was angry or tender. For some time he stood in silence, considering whether he should follow him or go away. No, he does not want it, Pierre concluded. And I know that this is our last meeting. He sighed deeply and rode back to Gorky. On re-entering the shed, Prince André lay down on a rug, but he could not sleep. He closed his eyes. One picture succeeded another in his imagination. On one of them he dwelt long and joyfully. He vividly recalled an evening in Petersburg. Natasha, with animated and excited face, was telling him how she had gone to look for mushrooms the previous summer and had lost her way in the big forest. She incoherently described the depths of the forest, her feelings, and a talk with a beekeeper she met, and constantly interrupted her story to say, No, I can't. I'm not telling it right. No, you don't understand though he encouraged her by saying that he did understand and he really had understood all she wanted to say. But Natasha was not satisfied with her own words. She felt that they did not convey the passion, passionately poetic feeling she had experienced that day and wished to convey. He was such a delightful old man and it was so dark in the forest and he had such kind... No, I can't describe it, she had said, flushed and excited. Prince Andre smiled now, the same happy smile as then, when he looked into her eyes. I understood her, he thought. I not only understood her, but it was just that inner spiritual force, that sincerity, that frankness of soul, that very soul of hers which seemed to be fretted by her body. It was that soul I loved in her, loved so strongly and happily. And suddenly he remembered how his love had ended. He did not need anything of that kind. He neither saw nor understood anything of the sort. 
He only saw in her a pretty and fresh young girl, with whom he did not deign to unite his fate. And I? And he is still alive and gay. Prince André jumped up as if someone had burned him, and again began pacing up and down in front of the shed. All right, there we go. Another chapter for you. Prince André having some dark, disturbing thoughts on the eve of battle. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.